Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. She wakes up and she's yelling for him to get out and that's when he stabs her three times. Just try to get that image out of my head, not even think about it. How could a Florida fashionista everyone adores meet such a frightful end? She wasn't someone you would expect to get murdered. She wasn't a headline that I wanted to read in the paper. Seems even this glamour girl's list of suspects reads like a romance novel with star-crossed lovers, secret admirers, and hopeful hangers-on. Why would someone do this? Why would it happen to this lady? Maybe the answer is in a rhyme on the radio. He hears a song that uh, has mentions of murder, and he tells him to shut it off. How well do you know your neighbors? What lies behind the white picket fences? Lakeland, Florida is a little mecca of cool. Known for its picturesque lakes and 300-year-old centurion oak trees. Neatly nestled between Tampa and Orlando, this sleepy southern town prides itself on being a sunny slice of hidden heaven. Our weather offers an opportunity for our folks to find something that they like. We have eateries, we have bars, we have our parks and rec. Lakeland is, is a fantastic place to live, work, learn, and play. Once known as the citrus capital of America, Lakeland is a real sweet spot for its 90,000-plus residents. We still have orange groves in our community that produce fantastic orange juice that people still buy today. But Lakeland's trendy boutiques are what appeals to stylish 47-year-old Mary Peterson. It was just the perfect place for her to settle down. I know that she enjoyed Lakeland because of the, uh, the scenery, a lot of retail stores, and Mary loved to shop. And six years ago, this stylish single settled into a pretty posh pad. To say that you lived in the Panic Club apartments, that was a kind of a status thing. Metropolitan Mary from Chicago eases into the carefree lifestyle of the Sunshine State. And with no family in town, Mary keeps busy with her job as supervisor at a nearby department store. 
co-worker and friend Gary Gross thinks it's a perfect fit for a gal who knows how to look good on the sales floor. That's what always kind of stuck out in my mind. She was tall, attractive, beautiful woman. But as alluring as Mary is, she's been unlucky in the love department. Long divorced, Mary dates now and then, but since she's married to her job, she has yet to click with Mr. Wright. She didn't have much of a social life, but she wasn't the type to go out after hours and hang out. She really never talked about going out to a lot of places. Seems Mary's version of happy hour is working quietly from home. On Tuesday, September 26, 1995, Mary plans to do just that when she waves goodbye to her staff and tells them she'll be back first thing Monday morning. But it turns out she's just clocked out for good. Officer Ace Williams is a top cop who's game for just about anything. With 10 years on the force and a brief stint as a semi-pro football player, he's a starter when it comes to tackling the bad guys. I still have that linebacker mentality. I like to go out and get them. I guess that's gonna stay with me until the day I retire. It's a good thing Williams is always at the ready because he's about to get blindsided. On Monday, October 2nd, 1995, this rugged Rambo is in his cruiser, looking forward to the end of a boring shift. I didn't have any calls that day. I was just patrolling around. When all of a sudden, a mysterious message comes over his police radio. Seems there's a suspicious smell seeping out of Mary Peterson's apartment. A lot of times, you know, foul over me normally means a dead body. I didn't want to assume that because she shouldn't have assumed anything. It could have been some food that was left out. When Williams arrives at the first floor apartment, one of Mary's co-workers is standing nearby, wide-eyed with worry. Dolores Bramwell says Mary was a no-show at work, though she was scheduled to be in after five days off. When Mary didn't answer her phone, Dolores came to check on her. She found Mary's car in its usual parking space. But as Dolores approached Mary's door, she was struck by something most unusual. A smell so overwhelming, she knew something was terribly wrong. So I knocked on the door. Once I knocked, the door just automatically pushed open. And the smell just hit me in my face. Once inside, Williams follows his nose straight to the bedroom. And it looks like he's just found Mary Peterson. She was laying in the bed on her, on her bike. She had a, a brown comforter and a pillow covering her up. And when he pulls back the covers, Mary's bloody face is staring right at him. You see uh, cuts or slash marks on the chest area, neck area, you know, the left hand. To me, that's an uh, indication that she was stabbed with a knife. And by the looks of things, Mary's body has been here for a while. It's a gruesome scene that rattles this tough linebacker as hard as a 300-pound tackle. And you see her discoloration of her body. Rigor mortis had set in, and she was darker than what she probably normal would be. It's pretty awful state to see her like that. Looks like the Lakeland PD has one heck of a murder mystery on its hands. And the sneaky killer already has a huge jump on detectives. 
so Williams quickly makes a play for the medical examiner to pick up Mary's body and hands off the ball to his teammates in homicide. Detective Sam Taylor's bloodlines run 40 years deep in the Florida Police Department. He was just knee-high when he started watching his dad take down criminals. He was the one that pinned the badge on me. My dad was proud, and I was happy that he was proud of me. As soon as Detective Taylor arrives at Mary Peterson's apartment, he makes a beeline to her bedroom. It's one of the bloodier scenes that I have uh, been to in my career. Box springs were soaked with blood. It was actually coming through the floor on the bottom. Taylor's not sure if Mary was awake when the killer attacked or whether he woke her up, but marks on her hands show she surely fought back. Police hope in the struggle the killer got nicked with the knife and left a little something behind on his way out. So Taylor makes sure his men collect every drop of blood to see if it's the killer's. We're looking for blood that is, you know, why would that blood be there? Something out of place. Taylor doesn't know who's to blame just yet, but he is sure of one thing. She had a, quite a few purses in her apartment, but we never found the, the purse that contained her wallet. And we felt like her purse was stolen. While everything else appears to be in its place, Taylor notices the knife set in Mary's just-so kitchen is short a blade which raises a pointed question. Why would there be one knife missing and it wasn't in the dishwasher? So we felt like that was probably the murder weapon, which tells us he armed himself after he got there. Was Mary the victim of a robbery gone wrong? Or did the overzealous killer just want it to look that way? A classic case of overkill with no signs of forced entry usually means one thing. Chances are, someone close to her has committed an act of brutal betrayal. You're going down the checklist trying to figure out why was this lady killed? Who would have that sort of a vendetta? And now it's up to Taylor to find out exactly who that someone is. Back at Mary's workplace, the news of her death travels faster than a doorbuster sale. And Gary Gross is more anxious than the first customer in line on Black Friday. We were in shock. The rest of the day, we just couldn't function. Some of the employees went home sick. It was hard to deal with. Good thing Detective Taylor already has a suspect in his sights. Seems Mary's boyfriend ditched her for another woman. And according to her friend, this womanizer walked away with a peculiar parting gift. Did have a key to the apartment still, which obviously that was something that, that we were interested in. He was someone that we wanted to, to speak with very, very quickly. And when police do a little more digging, they turn up a shocking secret in this paramour's past. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery. Have you ever heard the expression, perfect is the enemy of good? I think about that a lot, especially when it comes to my body and health, because perfect does not exist. It's a total trap. Noom isn't into this perfection thing either. Its unique approach is tailored to each person's psychology and biology. From coaching to recipes, Noom's app provides personalized information to help you on your journey, no one else's journey. I also think it's great that Noom doesn't restrict what you can eat, and it doesn't shame you for treating yourself. And treat yourself, you should. What's more, Noom's approach is grounded in science. They've even published more than 30 peer-reviewed scientific articles about how they work. To date, Noom has helped more than 5.2 million people lose weight by helping them build new habits for a healthier lifestyle. So why not give it a try? Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Two days after Mary Peterson is found stabbed to death in her very own bed, the townsfolk of Lakeland, Florida, are left tossing and turning. It really puts people on edge, and you wonder who did it. I mean, do I know the person? Is my coworker, is my neighbor, is the person I hang out with, could they have done it? City Commissioner Justin Troller was only in high school at the time of the crime, but he vividly remembers the fear in the air. She was going about her normal business. I think that's what the shock came over the communities, that she was just doing what many of us do every day. It could be anybody. The good news is that homicide detective Sam Taylor has a lead on a suspect. Mary's former boyfriend, Nolan Wilhelm. And Taylor's closing in on him like a Florida gator tracking a meal. There's a whole myriad of reasons that, that we are interested in an ex. or some sort of conflict that took place whenever they broke up. Ever since police got an earful about Nolan from Mary's best friend, Dolores Bramwell, he's been on their radar. Fifteen years Mary's junior, it seems her boy toy grew tired of being a one-woman man after a couple of years. And though he walked out on Mary a while ago, he still has access to her apartment since he kept his key. Whoever did this either had a key to the apartment or she felt comfortable enough letting them in. He still had reason to be there. But before detectives invite Boy Wonder to the station, Taylor calls in a wingman. And the guy he picks is a real top gun. Detective John Thomason 
is the Lakeland PD's very own Energizer Bunny. He's a man with a high-octane attitude, and nothing gets his engine running like a tricky case. It's an adventure because you have all this pressure and you're able to take minute amounts of information and you're able to try to put those pieces together. Thomason quickly revs up to speed on the case, just as the autopsy results come in. And the ME confirms what Detective Taylor suspected all along, that Mary's killer went the extra mile to get the job done. She had stab wounds as far as to the upper torso, next to the neck area, shoulder area of the left side of her body, and she had some cuts on her throat. And even though Mary was scantily dressed, there's no evidence of sexual assault. For police, these are signs the killer wanted Mary good and dead. That would tell you that it's a rage, anger, to where probably they have some type of emotional relationship and they're upset about something and they do severe damage to the individual. There's someone obviously that, that either cared about her or couldn't stand to look at her. So those are the two things you're thinking about. So if the killer was someone close to Mary, maybe even her ex-honey, Naughty Nolan, detective's next question is, when did he do her in? Without an accurate time of death, pinning this case on Nolan will be nearly impossible. Once we get the, the time of death, we can start narrowing it down as to who had access during that time. And that's when Detective Thomason finds a clue an ATM receipt from Mary's apartment. He gave the location of the grocery store, plus he gave a date as far as for the purchase. And that date was within the time span of the time she'd last been seen and that she'd been found deceased. The date is the same fateful Tuesday Mary left work early. So the detective tracks down the ATM faster than a NASCAR rounds the Daytona Speedway and he fast-forwards through the surveillance tape. You're always hoping that things can, can be caught on camera. The ultimate to the investigator would be to where you could see the victim and see who it is that's with her. So the detectives comb through the tape, like movie fans hoping to solve a murder mystery. And they soon find something interesting. We could see her on the video. She was getting money from the ATM, didn't appear there was anyone with her, didn't appear that she was in any duress. Mary was last seen on the ATM tape around one. According to Mary's BFF, Dolores, the women spoke on the phone around three that Tuesday. And then she called back again to speak with her later that evening, and that's when she didn't answer the phone. So Mary probably took her last breath sometime that Tuesday night. It did narrow our window as far as our time span, as far as knowing when she was alive and where she'd been. So it helped us on the investigation, but it just didn't give us everything. But there's one guy who may be able to fill in the blanks. Mary's bad boy beau, Nolan Wilhelm. Maybe Nolan returned to her apartment after their breakup, hoping to win Mary back. And she said no. Well, especially if it's only one-sided and and she's not reciprocating or you know, returning it, and he feels slighted or feels put off by it in some form or fashion. Now, police wonder whether this passion play may have caused Mary's tragic ending. So they track down Nolan in Orlando, where he moved after the breakup. He works at a hardware store, 
but it seems it's his record that's in need of a makeover. He did have an arrest for a misdemeanor loitering and prowling, creeping around houses at night. That obviously fits the description of maybe someone that we would be very interested in based on this event and the circumstances that we knew. So Taylor sweet-talks Nolan into coming to Lakeland for a little rendezvous. And when he arrives for his cameo, his performance is pretty convincing. Our initial impression of Nolan was, uh, you know, he was being honest. He was obviously upset that Mary was, you know, had been the victim of a homicide, shocked, couldn't believe it. But is Nolan just play-acting to hide a terrible truth? Police ask him where he was the Tuesday Mary was last seen alive. And he says he was 50 miles away, in Orlando, working the late shift. When detectives demand proof, the hardware salesman whips an alibi out of his back pocket faster than a measuring tape. He was able to also provide us documentation as far as time cards as to his whereabouts on the time and the, and the date that we think that she was uh, murdered. So at least for now, Nolan's a no-go, and police move him down a notch on the suspect list. Even though uh, he was very cooperative and answered all of our questions, he was someone that, that we weren't totally eliminating yet. With Mary's former flame on the back burner, police continue to canvas Mary's neighbors. And when they spot a group of teens playing hoops, they're hoping to score a slam dunk. Officers asked the guys that he'd seen anything suspicious and so on and so forth, and they didn't see anything or hear anything. Seems like Mary's neighbors heard no evil and saw no evil. Or if they did, they aren't speaking any. So detectives turn to Mary's co-workers for new leads. And a few lovely ladies are more than willing to sell out one of Mary's loyal customers, Eddie Speaker. He's a good-looking guy, so with his outgoing personality, he would come up and talk with employees. Seems he especially liked to chat up Mary. And her co-workers are sure their fancy-free single friend has been having a fling with this married man who has a lot to lose. When you're investigating a case and you hear an affair, then you have to weigh what do they have to hide, how much stress is that on the person, and it can make people make bad decisions, and it can cost lives. So maybe Mary threatened to bring her secret stud out in the open. That's it. And paid the price. In October, Lakeland, Florida residents are usually worried about hurricane season. But a week after Mary Peterson's murder, folks like Mary's friend, Gary Gross, have just one thing on their Doppler, getting justice for Mary. This is weighing heavy on us. I just want this over with. I want the guilty to come forward and this case to get resolved. And Mary's coworkers suspect the guy who's guilty just might be her favorite customer, 42-year-old married man, Eddie Speaker. Seems Mary and Eddie were thick as thieves, and maybe they shared some stolen moments together. They would have coffee, we'd go to lunch. She would get all giddy when he showed up and happy. Colleagues tell police that the chemistry between Mary and her secret shopper was off the charts. They never seen them out on a date, but it was when they noticed them around each other, when they'd talk, when they'd smile at each other. 
They just thought something was going on. But detectives aren't sure if the whispers of an affair are real or just shop talk. If they're true, this married man has a lot of explaining to do. First time or two someone says an affair, we just make a note of it. But after about the seventh or eighth time you hear it, you think, well, maybe there's something to this. So they invite the rumored Romeo in for a little chat. Maybe we need to look into what Eddie's relationship was with the victim. And when police first lay eyes on this pretty boy, he sure seems like he's got something to hide. He definitely was showing some nervousness. He was sweating. His uh, hand was shaking. His palms were sweaty. Eddie seems more stressed than a shopper with a canceled credit card. And police are determined to find out why. When pressed about his relationship with Mary, he insists that they were just friends. But detectives aren't so sure, especially when he admits to knowing the way to Mary's apartment. He had given her a ride home a time or two when she was having car trouble and or car issues, so he was familiar with where she lived. Uh, he indicated it had never been inside of her apartment. Sounds like it's time for police to put him to the lie detector test. And sure enough, when asked point blank if he killed Mary, Eddie starts doing a jittery jig. The polygrapher came out and told me what had happened, and I asked him, well, what does that mean? He said, couldn't tell you. He said, I've been doing this over 20 years, and I've never, ever seen a reaction like that, <laughs> ever. Eddie chalks it up to a case of nerves, so detectives let him take a short break. But when he's back in the hot seat, it's deja vu all over again. And, of course, there's the question, is he doing that to throw the polygraph off? So detectives try another tactic. I took a, a color photograph of her driver's license and blew it up into, like, a uh, 8 by 10. And I showed him the photograph of Mary and said, who is that? And he said, that's Mary. But then Taylor shows him a crime scene photo of Mary after her murder to see how he'll react. I said, who is that? And he said, oh, my God, I don't know. I said, that's Mary, and you did that to her, didn't you? Police can't help but wonder if Eddie's a killer who just got caught or a murderer putting on a killer performance. Cell phone records do show Eddie was working late in Tampa, and his wife confirms he came home at around 9 that night. But with his house just 10 miles from Mary's, he could have made a surprise visit. There probably was a narrow window to where he could have drove to the north side of Lakeland, committed a crime, and then went home. Despite their suspicions, detectives have no proof Eddie's the killer. So they let him go for now. The way we left it with Eddie was is that probably the next time that we speak and that you see us, it's going to be because of the fact we've got a warrant for your arrest and we're coming to get you. That's how we left it. Determined to get to the bottom of the case, investigators try to get their ducks in a row. But with a former flame and a sexy shopper in play, and very little to tie them to the crime, detectives try to find the missing link. And so now we're somewhat grasping at straws, trying to see if we can find any bits of information or any other pieces of evidence that might break the case. And as Lakeland Luck would have it, a hair-raising tip comes in that turns the case on its ear. Seems a customer down at the barbershop can't stop talking about Mary. 
and the person had mentioned details and information that we had not uh, given out as far as to the media or made public. So we had concerns about how would this person know this if they weren't involved in it. Could police have been looking at the wrong guys all along? Maybe they're finally close to clipping the evil killer's wings and making him a jailbird for good. Late November is usually when snowbirds migrate to sunny Lakeland, Florida for some R&R. But seven weeks after beloved store manager Mary Peterson is murdered, the only break city commissioner Justin Troller is hoping for is a break in the case. There are folks in our community that were a little on edge on why it was taking so long to solve the case. Uh, you know, like anything else, good police work takes some time. You want to make sure you have a sealed case. And Lakeland detectives Sam Taylor and John Thomason may be about to seal the deal. They have their eyes on a guy who seems to know something about Mary that he shouldn't. And the person had mentioned that the victim had been stabbed to death in her bed. And that was details and information that we had not made public. So we had concerns about how would this person know this if they weren't involved in it. So detectives head over to have a chat with the barbershop owner who called about this chatterbox. And he tells police the trash talker is 32-year-old Walter Mathewson, a local car salesman. The owner called police when he learned the guy was Mary's neighbor. Being a neighbor, he knew when she came to work, when she was at home for the most part. He certainly knew her routine. Walter certainly had the opportunity, but did he have a motive? Police aren't sure, but they can't shake the feeling that he's up to no good. And while Walter doesn't have a record, any good detective knows a killer often talks about his victim. So perhaps that's why he's been blabbing about Mary. It looked odd. So obviously someone that we would want to interview and find out why is this guy doing this. And when police learn from apartment management that Walter flew the coop just a week after the murder, they can't help thinking his midnight run is more than just a coincidence. So detectives track him down at his new address and invite him up to Lakeland to visit for a spell. Surprisingly, he readily accepts their invitation and drives an hour north to meet them. At first, he seems helpful. He's cooperative with the police, just a little bit nervous. I think there was probably a little bit of a concern. Could be Walter is worried about talking to police because he has something to hide. Time to find out what he knows about his neighbor and whether there was more between them than just borrowing a cup of sugar now and then. He did not really have any interaction with her other than maybe just a passing hello. But detectives have to wonder. If Walter knew so little about how Mary lived, how on earth did he know so much about how she died? They ask how he got the inside scoop on her stabbing, and his answer is surprisingly simple. Unbeknownst to us, our own officers are releasing the information in the canvas. We went back with the officer and confirmed that, and the officer admitted to it, yes, he did tell him that. But when detectives want to know why Walter left Dodge so soon afterward, he starts telling them quite a sob story. He says it all started when he and his fiance had a falling out. 
Two days after Mary was found, he had canceled his wedding plans and quit his job like he was preparing to make a life change. Walter tells police he was upset about the breakup and felt he needed a change of scene. But he didn't leave town until after Mary's murder. And when detectives ask where he was that night, the car salesman has an alibi ready to drive off the lot. His alibi was the fact that he'd been with his girlfriend, and therefore uh, that was a pretty solid alibi. She confirms his story. So police have no choice but to push Walter down to the bottom of the suspect list. You're constantly almost rearranging the names on your board until eventually you've either eliminated everyone and you go back to start to zero again. And three months after Mary Peterson's case landed on their desk, detectives still have no idea who killed her or why. They haven't ruled out her ex-boyfriend, who still holds the key to her home, or the married man who may have strayed. But police aren't convinced either of them is really their guy. You've tracked down all the leads, you've looked through the evidence, and you just don't have a viable suspect. That can be a very depressing and discouraging feeling. And since the detectives can't find a smoking gun, they decide to generate some firepower of their own with a good old-fashioned shooting match. It's a good time because you're going to pick at each other when you miss or when you, know, when you don't make that shot. And so there's a, there's a little bit of cutting up with each other. This one's a good one, but really I'm not satisfied with those. Turns out Sure Shot Thomason is the fastest draw in Lakeland County. Pretty good. Got one up there in the collar. Mm -hmm. Got one uh, just above the pocket. Yep. Still looking pretty strong, brother. Yep. And three months after Mary's murder, it's a good thing this sharpshooter has one more trick in his holster. A reward. You're hoping that maybe there's somebody out there that has maybe been afraid or just didn't want to get involved, and maybe they know some information, and maybe the money will make them step forward. Police take to Lakeland's airwaves, offering $5,000 for information leading to an arrest in the murder of Mary Peterson. Detectives are betting someone will follow the money. I felt very, very certain that someone out there knew something, that they could not keep this secret. They had done something, they had, you know, told someone. Someone had seen something. We just needed that one little piece of information that would put us on the right track, and that's what we were hoping for. And it's not long before a tip comes in that could pay off big time. A Lakeland mother of two calls in to say her 17-year-old daughter told her something police may want to hear. And when detectives get a grip on the tip, it almost sounds too good to be true. Her daughter said that there was a student at an area school that knew some information about who had done the killing at the Paddock Club. Mom invites detectives over to the house to have a chat with her daughter. And what the girl tells them could blow the doors off the case. Her and her boyfriend were riding in a car with a guy. She said that he knew who had killed the lady up at the Paddock Club. Seems Madison's 17-year-old boyfriend, Kyle Herefort, was taking her and his friend on a joyride about a week after the murder, when the friend did something mighty strange. There was a song playing on his radio. He said change the radio because it brought back memories of uh, time that he didn't want to remember. Hey, turn it off. 
since the tune was a rap song called Mo Murder, Madison told police she was all ears. And what the guy said next made her jaw drop. He made a statement about killing the lady at the Paddock Club. He wants him to shut it off because when he hears the references of murder. Madison tells police she just didn't believe him. She wasn't sure whether what she had heard was true. She just knew what she'd heard. And we prefaced it by saying, look, you can't help but what you hear. Madison says all she knows for sure is that the troublemaking teen is James Woodham, a 17-year-old high school dropout who lives with his mom. But she tells police her boyfriend Kyle can tell them more about James and that they can find Kyle flipping pies at a pizza joint about a mile away. We were able to talk to Kyle and uh, talk to him for a little while. He was a little hesitant at first, didn't really want to talk about the incident and get involved. But when police pile the tentative teenager into their cruiser and threaten to take him to the Lakeland police station for questioning, he starts to spill a very spicy story. I actually had to get out of the car for a second and uh, just kind of walk around for a second and catch my breath because I knew this information that this guy was saying was true. More than three months after the murder of Mary Peterson, police may be on the brink of bringing down her killer. Kyle Hereford says his very best friend, James Woodham, is hiding a deadly secret. You're uh, excited, it pumps you back up, and uh, you know now that you're back in, back in the fight, you're back in the game. And as police listen to Kyle the pizza guy deliver the details in 30 minutes or less, he tells them Woodham shared something with him that only the killer could know. Woodham told him that he had taken her purse out of the apartment. And John, myself, and maybe two other people knew her purse was missing. No one else knew that. And that's when we felt like the information was 100% gold. James also told Kyle he took 80 bucks from the purse. And Kyle has one more bomb to drop about the place his friend used to call home. He lived at the Paddock Club during the time that this homicide occurred. He was living with his mother. Suddenly, detectives realize this isn't the first time the Lakeland PD has crossed paths with Mr. Woodham. Seems James was hiding in plain view just hours after Mary turned up dead. He is actually one of the kids that was spoken to that was on the basketball court. We actually had canvassed him. That's, that's a lot of things coming together. That's where it's looking like it's good information and all the pieces of, of the puzzle are falling together. And when they take a look at his petty theft rap sheet, police start to see the bigger picture. Looks like James's sticky fingers got him into a heap of trouble at Mary's place. Although James had maybe never been arrested, he was involved in some criminal activity, which possibly could be the motive as to how this occurred, that he was out doing some kind of burglary or theft, and then the killing happened. Kyle tells detectives that James is now living three hours away in Fort Lauderdale. Armed with an arrest warrant, they jump in their cruiser, hoping to catch this crazy kid. And after staking out his house all day, a dark van pulls up around 7 that evening, and they get their wish. When we noticed him stepping out of the van, we moved in, and it was James. 
it was a great feeling, but then you know, realize our job's not over. Now we got to get us a confession and try to tie everything together so that we have a great case. Woodham doesn't seem ruffled when detectives approach him. And they don't say they're from the Lakeland PD. They just ask him to come down to the local sheriff's office to answer a few questions. And he calmly agrees. We decided we wanted to keep that secret and spring that information to him in the interview setting. And that's exactly how we did it. But if Woodham was as cool as a cucumber at his home, at the station, he starts to get a little hot under the collar. You could tell he was nervous. We let him know we were Lakeland police. We could tell that stressed him, which was something we were looking for. And these experienced officers keep squeezing Woodham, as if they're juicing a Florida orange. We are saying that we know you did it, you need to tell us. We've talked to some of your friends. Um, hey, they didn't want to, but they've told us you killed the lady. And that's when something catches the investigator's eye. A small scar on one of Woodham's fingers triggers a memory of the killer's blood spots on the carpet in Mary's bedroom. So putting those couple things together, I end up grabbing and reaching for his fingers and getting hold of his hand and then saying, you cut yourself right there, that scar, you cut yourself when you were stabbing her, didn't you, didn't you? Woodham can't deny it any longer. So detectives turn on the tape recorder and he fesses up to killing Mary Peterson during a late night burglary gone bad. I hit her with the knife and got her and I didn't mean to. You cut her? Yeah. Where did they cut her at? In her neck, I think. Okay, and then what happened? And then she fell down. And when Woodham directs police right to Mary's purse, tossed in some tall grass with his own bloody T-shirt, they know they have him. Detectives arrest James Woodham and charge him with first-degree murder. And when the lab results come in on the bloodstains found in Mary's bedroom, police aren't surprised. Uh, the DNA results did show that it was James Woodham's blood in the carpet in Mary Peterson's apartment and on her robe, solidly tying him to the crime. On January 19, 1996, more than three months after Mary Peterson is killed, James Woodham pleads guilty to Mary's murder. The uh, confession was great, and probably even without the DNA, we would have got a conviction, but we may have not got the plea to where he pled up to life. James Woodham will spend the rest of his life in prison without parole. Based on the evidence and his confession, this is what police believe happened that fateful night of Tuesday, September 26, 1995. Just after midnight, James Woodham is looking for an open door to some easy cash and hits the jackpot when he stops in front of Mary's apartment. When he tried the door handle, um, even to his surprise, it was unlocked. Though he hears the TV and sees the light on in Mary's bedroom, he decides to go for broke. That's when he arms himself with a knife. Then he goes past the purse and goes to the bedroom door and he can see her laying in the bed. And when he sees the jewelry, that's when he decides he wants to creep over and try to get the jewelry. But as he grabs the glitter, Mary awakens from a good sleep into her worst nightmare. She wakes up and starts screaming, 
He doesn't know what to do. He just starts stabbing her. On his way out, Woodham decides to help himself to Mary's purse. After he grabs the cash, he disappears into the darkness and ditches the handbag and the shirt off his back. He tosses the knife separately, and what happens to the murder weapon remains a mystery. We, we searched that area, searched that area, searched that area, and never found the knife. In the days after the murder, Woodham returns to life as usual, while Mary Peterson is 500 feet away, lying dead in her bed. I think he was probably out there playing basketball whenever the hearse was there to remove her body and take it to the morgue. Even though Mary's life had a tragic ending, her friends and co-workers think of her often and always remember the good times. When she came to work, she was just always in a great mood. She wanted to make sure that your day started off good and it ended good. I have yet to meet someone else like her. <laughs> 